and I finally get lapped. <laughs> and I remember being so excited that I actually stayed with the leaders for that very last lap, even though I was a whole, a lap, whole lap behind, behind yes. <laughs> And I got done with the race, and I was like, that was the coolest thing ever. Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Everybody, welcome to another wonderful episode of Stand Up Pedal Action. We have had on this show, in its short history, more than a couple uh, national champion and world champion racers, but there are not too many times we get to sit down across the table from an absolute utter force of domination. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, today we have yeah. on the show, Allison Dunlap. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Glad to have you in the blanket for it. Um, for those who don't know, we normally will run through a list of accolades or titles or championships or whatever but in your case we just had to condense them to blocks of <laughs> incredible numbers of wins in everything from uci mountain bike world cup championship we've got olympics in two different disciplines if i'm not mistaken yep, if not yep. more um we've got 11 national titles or more between uh cross-country short track cyclocross and road mm-hmm and the list goes on. We, you have ended up in the U.S. Bicycling Hall of Fame, Colorado Springs, or, or the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. There is also the Colorado Springs Hall of Fame. I was on the right track there. And I mean, the Colorado College Hall of Fame, too. There we go. Yeah. So yeah. There's a few yeah. of these. Um, we've also got UCI Mountain Bike Cross Country World Champ as well on the list. And I'm sure we're forgetting many, many others. <laughs> <laughs> um, an unbelievable resume. We would love to hear a little more about the story of where you came from and how you got to be standing on that many podiums all over the place. <laughs> well, I grew up in Denver mm -hmm. and then I came to Colorado College uh, starting in 87 and my big dream was to play soccer. Yeah. They were a division one powerhouse at the time and I was a walk-on and I ended up being cut from the team. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a little bit of a shock because um, I'd been a good player and never really had anybody say to me, you weren't good enough. And that's kind of what they did. Well, yeah. Talk me through that for a second, because beginning saying division one powerhouse and walk on usually don't go together unless no. there's a story behind that from your <laughs> side. <laughs> well, you know, I played at a school up and down at Smoky Hill High School, and we were not a big... Mm -hmm. powerhouse soccer team on the state level. So I wasn't recruited. And my coach, you know, he wasn't uh, the type of coach that, you know, really went out of the way to get his athletes noticed. And mm -hmm. I really kind of was clueless on the whole thing about, you know, collegiate sports. And then I got into CC and I was like, oh, yeah, they have a really cool soccer team. So I was like, well, of course, I'll go play soccer. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I never once dreamed that I wouldn't make it. But then mm. once I got down there and you know, we had the tryouts and it was, you know, it was like a two week process. Um, yeah. it, you know, I realized that it probably wasn't going to work. And then, so then I got cut. And at that point it was sort of like, oh, oh, oh you know, what, oh my gosh. And the, the <laughs> first thing that came to mind was the freshman 15, which mm. is what you hear. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to get fat. You're going to gain 15 pounds your freshman <laughs> year. They all do. And yeah. I was terrified. So I was like, I got to find something. And I had noticed posters up for the CC Cycling Club, and I thought, well, I know how to ride a bike. You know, I'm just <laughs> going to go to this meeting. Why not? You know, I love I love riding my bike. I, I'd done a bunch of bike tours with the Girl Scouts, 
Mm-hmm. So that was the extent of my cycling knowledge at that point. And, okay, oh. wait a minute. <laughs> Most of the people that we've had on the show who made it into any sort of national level or international level of competition, there was a good long history of even maybe youth sports competition or you know, a real heavy interest in cycling. And it sounds like so far that was maybe more of just a passing interest for you until this point. It really was not even, I mean, I knew nothing really about bike racing. I mean, I'd watched the the Coors Classic when it would come to town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking Rebecca Twig was really cool. <laughs> um, but nobody in my family rode. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I played soccer, but, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't this like all-consuming mm-hmm. thing that I did with the dream of, you know, playing Division One sports. And at that point time you know there was no women's soccer in the olympics right and there's no professional league so it wasn't it wasn't this dream i had of i'm gonna go play professional soccer mm-hmm. and make it my life's career the one dream i did have was i wanted to go to the olympics and okay. i knew that like from when i was five years old i was like I, that's what i want to do and i thought i would go as a ballerina ah. when i was you know five mm-hmm. uh-huh. um and then and then it changed to gymnastics and then it kind of morphed into soccer <laughs> But none of those really, you know, obviously didn't pan out. But yeah, so then I went to this meeting at Colorado College and I showed up to the meeting and this is my first couple weeks of my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And there was probably 35 guys in the room and they all had shaved legs. (laughs) And I was the only female and I was just like, this is awesome. Sign me up. (laughs) And so that's literally how I joined the cycling club. Wow. With a room full of men with shaved legs. Yes. And they were so nice and so helpful. And I mean, we, you know, I, they said, show up at one o'clock by the Matthias dorm and we do training rides every day. And I was like, I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to come. And I did. And, you know, I just followed them around and they, they taught me things and I did, you know, the training that they were doing. And, you know, I still didn't really know what I was doing, but I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah. And it was such a great team sport at the time mm-hmm. um and i made friends and it just was this group that i could identify with which is you know when you're a freshman that's a big deal yeah and so it just it, it just worked it just clicked and that's you know and then i just kept going to these training rides and then oh yeah we start racing in march and you know the idea of racing was like so exciting mm-hmm. and my first race in march was I think there was five of us, five women, and it was mm. 25 degrees out. And, <laughs> you know, I'm wearing these thick wool mittens and I'm wearing like tennis shoes. And, you know, it was just the funniest <laughs> thing. And then I, we start and I get dropped within the first 10 feet of the race. Oh gosh. And I ride the whole thing by myself. I'm chasing and I finally get lapped. <laughs> and I remember being so excited that I actually stayed with the leaders for that very last lap, even though I was a whole, a lap, whole lap behind. behind yes. <laughs> and I got done with the race and I was like, that was the coolest thing ever. And I just, <laughs> I just loved it. And that was, that was the start of my racing career. <laughs> All right. Humble beginnings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Literal worst to first then. It was. <laughs> yeah. Now at that point at Colorado College, was the cycling team mostly Road or was there some mountain in there as no, well? No, it was all road. Okay. Yeah, the collegiate mountain bike side of the sport hadn't developed yet, mm-hmm. so it was all road racing and it was mostly criteriums. Mm-hmm. And so we would, you know, I think we went to CU Boulder. I think we did a, a race at CSU. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at the Air Force Academy. 
you know, so we went to a couple of different colleges. But again, the women's fields at that point, and this was like maybe the second year collegiate racing was in existence. I mean, it was yeah. really young. Mm -hmm. You know, there was five women, six women, seven, you know, it was really, really small. Mm -hmm. um, and then I qualified for collegiate nationals that first year. And I was like, well, of course I'm going to go. And I got yes. to go and I was the only woman. And then, you know, there were six guys from CC that went. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the start of that race, there were 60 women, you know, so it was just this, this massive field, terrifying, overwhelming, like, holy crap, what am I doing here kind of experience. <laughs> but it was just, again, it was just this incredible thing. And I loved it. And I was like, that's, this is what I'm going to do. And, and then it just, it just grew from there. Yeah. So the excitement in your voice, even as you tell these memories of these early races is so evident. What was it about racing that made you come alive in that way? Because it would be easy for me if you said, I went to that first race and I smashed everybody and I won. So <laughs> yeah. I loved it. But what we just heard is that you came in dead last, got lapped and loved it. And loved it. Yeah. So yeah. What's going on there? I think it was just, it's, you know, one, it's the excitement of just going fast mm -hmm. and you're cornering and you're riding with other people. And then the challenge of, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself to the limit. And I had mm -hmm. never pushed myself physically like that before. Yeah. And it was just, it was really cool to see what you could do. And mm -hmm. then, you know, of course you see improvements with all the training yeah. and then you go to the next race and you, you hang on a little bit longer and then you go to the next race and you don't get dropped until the first corner. And you know, so <laughs> it just, it was this great, I mean, it was this challenge for me because I saw mm -hmm. what these girls were doing and I was like, I can do that. I know I can do that. I know I can be better than them. And I know I can win. And it was just a matter of like, all right, I'm, I'm willing to put in the hard work mm -hmm. because I know that I can do that. And it would, there was never any doubt that I wouldn't be one of the best. Maybe, mm. you know, yeah. and at this time we're talking like, the 10 women of the Colorado <laughs> Collegiate Conference. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you had the, the winning mentality before, before the uh, actual wins came through. You know, it's funny. It's like, I don't know if it was like, I have to win or if it's, I know I can be the best. If I work my ass off, I know I can be the best. Now, maybe that's not winning, but it's always been, I mean, with everything I've done, you know, in school and sport, um, it's always just been, I know if I, if I put out 150%, then the results just end up following. Yeah. So give us a picture, paint us a picture then, if you can, of what transpired between that somewhat less than stellar first race finish and the Olympics that you had been dreaming about <laughs> since you were yeah. a kid. Mm. Well, you know, I raced collegiately for four years mm. and... I also raced during the summer with, um, back then it was the United States Cycling Federation, but you basically USA Cycling where I got mm -hmm. a license and then I just raced in all the local events. And again, it was just this very slow progression. Um, and then my senior year, I won the collegiate national championship. And right, mm -hmm. and that was like the first moment where I realized that, wow, I could actually be one of the best riders in the country. You know, mm. and granted yeah. it was collegiate cycling, but still it was, you know, it was like, oh, I just won a national title. Um, yeah. And then shortly after I graduated, I got uh, contacted by a, a women's trade team. Mm -hmm. So it would be similar to 
you know, the Denver Broncos calling you up and saying, you know, we'd like to put you <laughs> hey, on as a play. development yeah. writer. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, hell yeah. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I had this degree in biology. I had no job. I had no place to live. So I, you know, I said, mom, <laughs> you know, can I come live with you for the summer? And so I got put on this trade team. And at that time, it was the best trade team in the country. It was sponsored by TGI Fridays and all these. Oh, my gosh. Know, yeah. top women were on the team and so mm-hmm. i was so in over my head and <laughs> super intimidated and you know i was it was a rough first couple months i mean some of the riders you know they weren't very nice to me and you know it was you had to really earn your res- the respect mm-hmm. of the peloton yeah but again it was just like damn it i know that i can do this and uh-huh. yeah i'm not going to you know get pushed around and i'm it's just you know the the adversity and the the hardships never like discouraged me. It was just like the fuel for the fire. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, yeah, all right, bring it on. Yeah. And I don't know where that mentality came from because I've always had it. Okay. Um, but yeah, and it just so I started racing full time that summer. I didn't get paid anything, but I got all my equipment, all my gear, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll never forget when that box of stuff arrived and it was just you know, I got five jerseys and I got five <laughs> pairs of shorts and literally the year, you know, in collegiate cycling, I was borrowing the old shorts from the guys on the team. They would hand them down to me and they would have a hole in the side and that would, I would close with a safety pin. Oh. And that's what I would, you know, race in. You know, I was using just oh my gosh. all this hand-me-down stuff and I didn't know any better. It was mm-hmm. like, sure, I'll use this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that first summer is, I kind of got the f- taste of sponsorship you know what it's like to compete on the national level and all of a sudden i was like the tiny tiny little minnow in this gigantic ocean of (laughs) sharks you know and it was like you gotta bust your butt to survive (laughs) and it sounds like you did and i did and it just it got slow it slowly got better i mean this was not like i was by no means a prodigy and i mean i just i worked so incredibly hard Mm. and the you know, the results came slowly, mm-hmm. but they, they came. And anytime you win a one, just one race, you're just like, this is the best thing ever. And it can be one race a year. And sometimes it's just enough to yeah. keep you going. So when, when did it start to come about where you began to turn your sights a little bit and think internationally or that the Olympics might actually be in striking distance? That would have been the... um so it was the summer of 92 mm-hmm. and the Olympics were in Barcelona and a couple of the girls on my team were some heavy favorites to make the team. And so we all, everybody goes to the Olympic trials and you, you know, you do all the races and I was there merely just to kind of experience the everything and just, you know, I was the domestique and I just helped yeah. out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And just kind of seeing the whole hype around the Olympics and, you know, and it was just, it was incredible to, to watch, Mm -hmm. you know, what it was all about. And, you know, and after that race was over, you know, I was like, that's, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And I just knew like four years later, I was like, I got four years. I can do this in four years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it was really just that exposure, being a part of it, being in the race and seeing, you know, this was my teammate. So I mean, she's she's really good, but she's not that much better than me. Like, oh, I'm not yeah. that far behind. Right? We're on the same team here, yeah. So I was like, you know, there's I can totally do this. 
<laughs> wow. Now, it, this is still all road. It's still all road, yeah. When did the mountain side of things start creeping in? Um, so I'd always, I'd learned to mountain bike when I was a student at CC, and I learned in Moab. Oh. So we did a lot of block break yep. trips over to Moab, mm -hmm. and I was dating this guy that lived in Moab, but actually went to CC and had grown up in Colorado Springs, and he just showed me everything with mountain biking, and of course, because I was so infatuated with him i just did everything you know that he said to do on the mountain bike and i got to be pretty decent and then you know we'd keep going back to moab and um so then after i had been racing on the road for a while went to the 96 olympics mm -hmm. um all right <laughs> but in 94 i met who is now my husband greg and he was racing mountain bikes and he was not not racing full-time, but he was really good. He was a very, one of the top riders in Colorado. And then he was also doing some of the regional races and then a few national level events. And again, it seems like we all centered around boys. So again, <laughs> I was like, you know, completely infatuated with him and super mm -hmm. in love. And I followed him around to some of his mountain bike events. And then in 95, I had a really bad head injury from a crash in a road race. Mm. And that was in April, and I missed the entire season. So I had no racing to do. I didn't have, I mean, I was, I was at this point making a little bit of money. So I didn't, I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I was a full-time athlete. So I basically followed him around, went to all his mountain bike races. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and I was becoming a little more disillusioned with road racing. I'd had, you know, some bad crashes on the road. There were politics with the national team. At that point, for women to race in Europe, you had to be a member of the national team for your country. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, there's always politics involved. Now, women can race on trade teams okay. and, and go to Europe and race. Yeah. But back then, you couldn't. So that was frustrating. Um, the, some of the injuries I, I was having on the road were frustrating. And then, you know, as you get... And I wasn't really even very old. I was 27. But your tolerance for your risk tolerance is starting to go down. Uh, right. You, You're not invincible anymore. I mean, I did anymore. the women's Tour de France four times. And there were days where I was descending down, like, you know, these huge mountain passes. And it's pouring rain. And I'm on this little goat path. And I'm by myself. And I've, I'm like, you know, if I crash and I slide off the road down the mountain, no one will know until I don't show up at the finish line. And that's mm -hmm. like two hours away mm -hmm. and it was just this i was like i don't i don't want to do this anymore this is just it's too nerve-wracking yeah and the the fun factor kind of had gone away mm -hmm. um especially with the european racing which is what you had to do if you wanted to go to the olympics if you wanted to go world championships you have to race on the national team and you have to go to europe yeah so so during this period was the goal of making it to the 96 Olympics kind of the thing that was still anchoring you in road racing? Was it like, oh, yeah. all right, I'm sticking around for that? Yeah. And, you know, leading up to the Olympics, you know, I was so driven to make that team that the craziness and the hardships and the the terror of racing in Europe, it, it didn't matter. It was just all part of it. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. once I had achieved that goal of the Olympics... And I was like, wait, yeah, maybe, maybe a change would be good. And at this point, you know, Greg and I are, you know, we're fully engaged with each other. We're living together. And I was like, 
I'm going to switch to mountain biking. This just looks like the best thing ever. <laughs> and I wasn't ready to quit cycling, but I was ready to be done with road racing. And so the switch to mountain biking just seemed like a, a, a really easy thing to do. And so that's that was kind of how that came about. And was that a switch professionally or were you just, I mean, were you able to stay with the team or so was there? The team I was on was strictly road racing. That's what I was going to say. And so I basically uh, kind of cold called some of the team directors on the mountain bike side. And I just said, you know, this is who I am. I have this road resume. I have no mountain bike experience, but would you be interested in having me <laughs> like as a development rider? And, you know, I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get. Um, but mm -hmm. I got, I got call, you know, I got some interest from a couple of the other couple teams and then team GT mm -hmm. called me out of the blue. Cause I, I had not approached them because at the time Julie Furtado was on the team and, you know, I was like, there's no way they would hire uh, yeah. me when they've got her, right? right? She was winning everything. But they called me out of the blue. And I remember Doug Martin was the director and he said, hey, I hear you're looking to switch sports. And I was like, well, you know, and I'm shaking as he's calling, you know, he's yeah. on the phone. And um, yes, I would love to switch over. And he said, well, we'd like to put you on our team as a development writer. You know, and I just about peed my pants because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be teammates with Julie Furtado. And, yeah, you know, that's just, that was just unbelievable. Um, and then, you know, they were the biggest team in the world for mountain biking. So this was like, yeah, it was, it was a huge step for me. But again, it was like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Yeah. It sounds like it didn't take long for you to very quickly get back on the podium in the mountain realm as well <laughs> yeah so the mountain bike so the switch to mountain biking was really fast um but it was it, there was a lot of challenges but i had a huge amount of fitness coming off of the road and so immediately i did really well the technical side of the sport i was a really good technical rider but i was a very good slow technical rider mm, yeah. <laughs> so like moab yeah. you know when you ride mm -hmm. a moab it's a lot of really slow speed ledges and tricky off camber you know, slick rock, whatever. And the the thing I had to learn was how to do that at high speed and with your heart rate at 180. Yeah. You know, when you, you're, you're can't, you can't see straight because you're going so hard, you, you know, your breathing, you know, is so high and the heart rate is high. And, and then you're, you want me to go over what <laughs> that drop off or. And it's probably important to point out at this moment that for anybody who's listening and not sort of thinking back, you're talking about doing this on old 26-inch wheel, <laughs> yeah. horrible geometry, just garbage front fork compared to what we have today. So if you just go watch women's cross country today, completely different game from a technological perspective. Mm -hmm. Same courses, very different bikes. Right. And, you know, the courses that we raced were all natural mm -hmm. courses, whereas today's races are very contrived, very man-made. There's jumps and there's gaps. We didn't have any of that. We just had gnarly rock gardens and, you know, these descents with roots <laughs> no that good would just transitions. like swallow no. you alive. And yeah, you're on these little 26 inch wheeled bikes. I was riding like 1.9 tires. Ooh. <laughs> you know, my front fork had 50 millimeters of travel, maybe oh 60. Yeah. And then we had cantilever brakes. You know, we didn't yeah. need V brake. I remember when the V brake came out and that would, I think that was my second year of mountain biking. So 90, maybe 98. 
And it was just the most incredible thing that mm-hmm. you could slow down with a V-brake. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I remember maybe the next year when the disc brake came oh. out. And I remember the Volvo Cannondale team was the first team to use them with Allison Cider. And we did this race, this World Cup in Canmore, British Columbia. And it was, no, it was Canmore, Alberta. Um, it snowed, it rained, and their disc brakes, all of them failed. Oh, no. Yeah, because it was in the infancy of this, yeah. of, mm-hmm. of the development of disc brakes. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm never using those things. I'm so <laughs> glad I had my V brakes because I actually got to finish the race. I got to yeah. ride the whole thing, you know, l- l- on, you know, lo and behold, you know, months later, we're all on disc brakes. Yeah. But yeah, the, the technology has obviously changed a tremendous amount, but it is funny to think of what we raced back then yeah <laughs> did uh did you race with the bullhorns on your handlebars too i did <laughs> oh yes <laughs> and then my very first year i was because i was the new kid on the team i they handed me some of the like prototype stuff and mm-hmm. i was like sure i'll try anything and <laughs> i mean i don't know what other riders must have said about me because i had i had the uh you know the the bullhorn things on the end of the handlebar and then Shimano at one point put a shifter on the end of that bar oh, end. No. <laughs> and then they did a thing where they tried to do reverse shifting. So, you know, normally you would click one direction to go to a harder gear. Well, Shimano decided to change that. And so I had the shifter on the end of my bar end that went the opposite direction of what we <laughs> had grown up riding. And, you know, it was all this like prototype stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was like so cool because I got chosen to use this stuff, but... <laughs> All of that disappeared. You know, it just yeah. didn't stick around. No. Too many trees hooked. Yeah, probably. Too many, yes. Yeah. So then this is the part that is interesting when you look at, you know, if you look at your race career in terms of, you know, dates and titles, we've got you at the Olympics in 96, and then you go on a tear, it appears, for the next six to eight years where... We've got not just championships or titles and different, and not only one, but multiple disciplines, but year after year. So what was that like as you transitioned from that phase of your career where you knew I've got to be better, I can be that good to all of a sudden looking around and there's no taller step on the podium and all you can do is try to get back here next year? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, you know... I, I quickly rose to being the top woman in the U.S. and, you know, winning most of the Norba nationals is what they were called back then, mm-hmm. um, the short tracks and the cross countries, and then the cyclocross. I did that every winter. Um, but there was always this, you know, like, well, those girls in Europe, I know they're training harder than I am. So I've I've got to up mm-hmm. my game. And, you know, to win World Cups in Europe was... Uh, you know, other than the Olympics and the world championships, that was like, that was it. Like mm-hmm. to win the world cup in Europe was a really big deal. And, you know, I got my ass kicked a lot in Europe. Yeah. Um, but there was always, there. It felt, like, it felt like there was always something that I hadn't accomplished or I could always be better at this or I, you know, I didn't get on the podium of that event or, you know, there was always something. And, and so it was not hard at all to find the motivation to train even harder than the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this big target on your back, right? Mm-hmm. And so then then it becomes a matter of pride because you're thinking, well, geez, you know, like I just won the last five years of cyclocross national championships. If I don't win this year, 
you know, I'm going to be like pressure, pretty embarrassed or like, yeah. So then there's the pressure of you can't, you got to repeat or you can't let yourself down. Mm. So yeah, there was always plenty of reason to train even harder than I had before because mm -hmm. I, you know, I was never, I never was, I never was one to just sit on my laurels and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm like, I've arrived. <laughs> you, you mentioned that uh, dynamic between the U.S. and Europe where it just seems like they're always training so hard over there. Well, I mean, and we've, we've heard it for years. It's just in, the, in Europe, they grow up with cycling, whereas here, a lot of us stumble onto cycling by accident. Yeah. Um, it's not as common to be born into a family where your grandfather and your father were both world-class cyclists. Well, of course, that's what you're going to do, but that happens all the time in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, and kids in elementary school, middle school, they don't grow up watching bike races, you know, like as something to do where, you know, if you have a family that's really involved, yes, you will see them. But it's not like the, the town goes out and watches the, you know, the weekly cyclocross race like they do in Europe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what kids dream of doing when they grow up over there. So it's such a part of their culture, unlike here. And I think it's just, we come into it later and we don't have the support like they do over there. We don't have the financial backing. So there's a lot of things that come into play. And then, you know, the, the level of riders, you know, granted at the top of the sport, the U S has been very competitive. Um, but it's all of the development categories, the juniors, I mean, you know, junior women, U23 women here compared to Europe, I mean, you could have a hundred junior women lining up at cyclocross at a World Cup, and over here you might have 20 or 30, yeah. and only the top five are competitive, whereas in Europe you might have the top 50 that are competitive. And when Katie was on the show, she characterized that as being a fairly difficult environment in which to race, not just because of the level of competition, but just all of it, that... You're out of your element, different food, different time zone, different language. And it was a fairly closed off community, at least from her perspective, that there wasn't a lot of help from other racers or teams. It wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, one thing we hear a lot about in cycling <clears throat> is that while it is ruthlessly competitive at the top, it, there's also this slightly more congenial <laughs> attitude, certainly in mountain bike circles, that, that, was, that she did not find that in cyclocross. Was mm -hmm. that your experience as well or... You know, that's interesting. I would definitely say, yes, it was there on the mountain bike side. I didn't, I mean, I raced in Europe for cyclocross, but not to the extent that Katie did. I mean, mm -hmm. she moved over there yeah. and lived there for months at a time in the winter. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't compare as much with the cyclocross. However, on the road side, it was very similar, I mm -hmm. think, to the cyclocross where it was a lot more cutthroat. It was a lot more, you know... Granted, I was there with the national team, so I did have my support with me. But yeah, you know, it's not as it's not a friendly environment. <laughs> you know, you're not prowling yeah. around with a lot of these European riders. Yeah. A lot of times, you can't speak the language, so mm -hmm. um, there's that. But yeah, it's a it, it's a very hard lifestyle to to do to go over there and do it well. And you know, Katie had a huge amount of success because she kind of figured out how to make it work living over there full time but i mean she did it on her own you know so yeah i can see why she would say that 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got you through some of these, some of these individual competitions where you, like you said, you are like, especially mountain bike championships where you're going 97 to 2001 straight. Like no one else is winning this. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have you in the early 2000s where across the board, we're, you're back in the Olympics again, and we've got disciplines just in multiple areas of cycling where you're finding yourself on the podium. That's a question that I'm really curious about because there's plenty of racers who will pick one thing they hone in on, or they just pick one race. Like that is your peak every year. That's what you're going for. Mm -hmm. And yet you're kind of doing it all through those latter years. What was going on there? Like how? (laughs) How did I do that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, you know, because I had, I think progressed so slowly through the sport, Mm -hmm. um, I had a really good balance. Uh, you know, I had an outstanding coach, Dean Golich, who really stressed balance. So I had a good balance physically, but I had a good balance emotionally. You know, I was not, I wouldn't call myself an unstable athlete. I mean, I had a Mm. good family life. I had a good, uh, you know, I was able to keep myself, uh, you know, from becoming so obsessed and fanatical about cycling that it, beca- that it would become unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And, and then just, you know, I did have some natural talent. I mean, I was able to do a lot of different disciplines of cycling and do it well. Um, and I mean, I was always a really good stage racer. And I think that that's how I started was road. And so I developed, you know, time trialing skills and I actually was a good sprinter and then I could climb really well. And I, you know, so all of that then kind of played into, oh, I could do well in cyclocross because that's a lot of sprinting and that's a Mm -hmm. lot of high power. And, oh, you know, the time trialing, well, that's really good for mountain biking. And so, so I think early on I had, I, I did not kind of hone in on one discipline. You know, I wasn't like a kilo rider and I didn't decide, okay, I'm going to be just a time trialist. I was I was really doing everything. And I think that just gave me such a good foundation that I was able to do all these different, you know, sports within cycling and do them well. Yeah. And was one of those, uh, something you were most passionate about? Like it seemed like mountain biking quickly rose to the surface, but which was your favorite? Definitely mountain biking. And I think it was just, you know, I love to be outside. I love backcountry stuff. I love the mountains. I love, you know, the mountains of Colorado and mountain biking plays to that you know the venues are you know you can't have a venue in downtown you know manhattan i mean you're gonna always be Mm -hmm. somewhere where there's gonna be hills and trails uh and i love that and then the whole atmosphere of mountain biking is so much more laid back and much friendlier than say on the roadside Mm. and that i enjoyed that a lot and the thing that definitely I, I gravitated towards was you're in charge of your own destiny in mountain biking. <laughs> if you don't want to <laughs> ride something, you don't, you mm-hmm. can always get off and run or walk. And if you want, if you, if that scares you, whatever that obstacle is, you can slow down. Mm-hmm. Whereas in road racing, you know, 99% of the time, the crashes are not your fault. You're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And year after year after year of that, it's, it just wears you down mentally. I mean, it is, it's exhausting to sit in a field for three hours and you are just so, you're like, 
you got to be on your A game times 100, you know, because every little twitch of every rider you're watching, did they mm-hmm. over, are they going to overlap wheels? I better move. Oh, I don't like the way she's handling it. I'm going to move over there. I'm not going to move over here because the road's getting worse. Oh, there's cars coming. I need to move, you know, and you're constantly thinking there's no, like, just kind of sitting in there and enjoying the, yeah. the race. Because if you do that, that's when crashes happen because you're not paying attention. That's that's a really interesting perspective because I think it would be easy for people who have not raced to expect that on the mountainside, it would seem more dangerous or more frightening because trees and roots that will swallow you whole and rocks and all this stuff. And that, oh yeah, you're just sitting in a giant, it's just a big group ride when you're on the road. But that is evidently not the case. No, it's not. And maybe, you know, that could be just me, but I think, you know, mountain biking is is very hard and it can be terrifying as well, but it's a different kind of fear. Mm -hmm. And it's a fear that you can learn to control. And there's a lot of mental coaching that you do to, you know, work through, how do I ride this? You know, this thing scares the crap out of me. How am I going to ride down this? And I would go through that every World Cup I went to, you would pre-ride the course and there'd be sections that, oh my God, you know, how am I going to ride this? And you would walk it and you would walk it. And I would call my husband in tears. I don't know, I'm going to ride this. You know, this is terrifying. And then sure enough, you get to race day and you've got adrenaline and the excitement of the event and you get to the same section and you fly down it without any trouble. Yeah. You know, so there's so much of mountain biking that is, there's the psychological side of the sport and i like that it's it can be super challenging but you know again it's like most of the almost all the crashes on the mountain bike are your fault Mm -hmm. you messed up you did something wrong your head wasn't in it you had doubt you know you sabotaged yourself i mean there's so many things that you do on the mountain Mm -hmm. bike side and it was it was this amazing challenge to learn how to control that like yeah I, you, you can have the best skill in the world, but if your head is not going to let you ride something, or if your head is going to say, you can't ride that, what do you, don't ride that, or you're going to kill yourself if you ride that, then there's, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So. I like to tell people consistently that mountain biking is safer than road riding. I think it is. <laughs> as long as you have self-control. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. You can't control the cars around you or the people no. around you. No. So. There comes a point in every racing career where you finally have to look in the mirror and say, maybe it's time to stop. What was that like for you? Like, how did that proceed? Was it a decision you got to make or was it was one that was more made for you? No, that the decision to retire was was mine. And mm-hmm. I was I was fairly young. I mean, compared yeah. to a lot of the women now, I was only 35. Mm-hmm. But I was at a point where, uh, you know, Greg and I were married. And I was just tired of the travel. I was tired of being gone for seven weeks in Europe. And I was tired of, I mean, I flew to Europe like six times a summer for all the races. And then all the, you know, North American events and then all the training. And so you give up a huge amount. You give up all the time with family, friends, your spouse. And I I was missing that. And I think it was, you know, I was kind of to the point where I'm I'm ready to just be home. (laughs) And yeah. Um, but I still loved what I was doing and I was still at the top of the sport. So I easily could have kept going. Um, but it just felt like a good time to kind of call it quits and 
I'd also thought, you know, this would be a good time to start a family because I was 35. And, you know, there's the, there's that internal clock that's ticking. You're <laughs> yep. like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, if mm -hmm. I want to start a family, I should do it soon. But we ended up waiting to have, um, get, to, you know, start a family until I was 40. So oh, yeah. I actually came back to racing for a year, um, just because I missed it so much. <laughs> and then, and then I retired for good and then got pregnant and now we have our son mm -hmm. and, but I was, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't a retirement where, you know, I wasn't winning anymore and somebody said, you really need to kind of be right. done. It was just, it was like, you know, I'm, I want to be done at the top of the sport. I don't want to retire when I'm just pack fill. <laughs> so. Sounds like a really nice route to take it. Yeah, it was good. And it was, but it was also really hard because you're like, why am I doing this? I'm, mm. I'm still the best rider in the country and I'm quitting the sport. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. And it's all, you, it's all you've done. Like it was all I had done. And there, and then it's all true. The transition back to being a normal person from a full-time athlete is really hard. And yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of depression that comes and a lot of self-doubt and, you know, what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it sounds like you didn't venture too far away from writing because you, you started your own coaching company. Is that right? I did. I started, uh, the Allison Dunlap adventure camp. So I started coaching mm -hmm. and then I also started doing mountain bike skills clinics and camps. Mm -hmm. So I did a couple in Moab. We did a bunch of skills clinics in Denver and then here. And so all of that became my full-time job when I was, f you know, officially retired. Um, and so I was very closely involved with the sport and I still did a lot of stuff with the team that I had been on the Luna mm -hmm. pro team. Um, I would travel to some of the domestic races and run clinics and coach and, um, and it was great. It was a great way to kind of transition away from cycling, but not yeah. really get away from cycling. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you had a pretty deep seated passion for for riding that has just carried you through. Yes, I still love to ride. I don't quote train anymore, but I am addicted to endorphins. And so uh -huh. I <laughs> I call it my hour of power and I will go out for an hour and I just ride really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. And I get my endorphin buzz and then I can go home and I can be a good mom and I can deal with the chaos of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and was was that one of the things that sort of kept you sane through that transition? For was sure. still staying on the bike? Yes. I mean, if I go more than three days without riding, I'm about ready to chew my arm off. <laughs> and I mean, parents all know that is the hardest thing you'll ever do is raising a child. And it was. And, you know, I went into it thinking, you know, I just, you know, I raced in the Olympics and I've been training for 25 years. How hard can it be to have a parent, to be a parent? <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, it just blows your doors off. And so the cycling for sure helped me keep my sanity and helped keep me grounded. And it really was a lifeline. And, you know, and I'm so thankful that now my son loves to ride a bike. And so we can share that together. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Well, it sounds like you've shared that passion with a lot of people. Just a quick browse through your site is it, it, you have a lot of different photos of adventures and camps that you've run. What, what was that like showing other people your world? Oh, it's, it was amazing. I mean, it was, it, you just have this incredible passion and the love of this lifestyle and the sport, and you just want to share everything with everyone, right? And most people have no idea. Like you would say, oh, I was a professional cyclist and, 
you know, they don't understand. It, again, it's our culture in the United States. They don't understand what that means. If I were to say that in Europe, mm-hmm. oh, I want your autograph, please, please, please. Oh, you're yeah. famous. Oh, <laughs> you know. But not here. And then you start telling yeah. them, oh, no, I got paid. What? You got paid? <laughs> yeah. And I traveled around the world. What? Yeah. You went around the world, you know, and most of the people that I would work with were so blown away by the whole lifestyle of being a professional cyclist. It was really fun to to share that and to, you know, kind of open that door for them. Um, and then they were like, okay, that's great, but show me how to ride down a curb, you know, on my mountain bike, because <laughs> I keep flipping over my handlebars. So a question about that, because I was curious about the skills clinics. Plenty of people will go from performance, ath- like high-performing athlete to performance coach, where they're adding that section of diet, training, whatever, that they have lived and breathed for decades, potentially. But the specific skills coaching seems like that's the thing that I don't hear about as often. Most often, it seems like, because anybody who's done really well in their sport, they just don't have time for it. They don't have time (laughs) for the people who are terrible and can't ride down a curb to save their soul. It's like, come back to me when you're better, and then I'll I'll take you from good to great but you're on your own to get to good. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide that skills coaching and going from national and world champion to, yeah, I'll, I'll help you ride down this curb. Like, <laughs> where did that come from? Um, one of my dearest friends uh, who lives in Moab, Kathy Mattingly, she's been a businesswoman her whole life and she and I became close. And after I was, well, as I was rep- approaching retirement, she said, have you ever thought about, you know, teaching other women how to ride a bike? And mm-hmm. I had I had not at that point. And she said, you know, with your, you know, resume and you're so friendly and you're so likable and just you should consider, you know, teaching other women how to do these skills that you have. And why don't you do it here in Moab? And And then she's like, and I can help you, you know, start a business and we can do camps. And so she kind of came, you know, she per- sort of proposed that idea and I had never considered it. And then when she had brought it up, I was like, oh, well that, wow, that actually might be something kind of cool. And it seemed like a good, like logical next step of, okay, I'm not going to race anymore. I still want to be involved with cycling. How could I give back? You know, it was yeah. like, like, how can I give back to the sport? Mm-hmm. So it did start with Moab camps for women. And mm-hmm. then that grew to Moab camps for co-ed and, and then, you know, we did a bunch of them and then it was like, well, why don't we do like two day clinics just here in the Springs? And, you know, instead of having to travel, mm-hmm. you know, a week long camp is a huge commitment sure. because it's, you know, weeks and weeks ahead of time that you're doing all the prep work. So we started doing the the Saturdays and the Sundays and, and then I got involved with Wimba here in mm-hmm. Colorado Springs and started doing clinics for them. Yeah. So it just, and then you know, slowly, it grew slowly. Um, and then I spent a lot of time with my husband because we did, did them together um, at per, kind of fine-tuning our teaching. You know, we would watch videos and we would talk about, you know, how do you tell someone how to ride over a ledge? Oh, like, yeah. You can do it and I can do it, but how do you actually break it down? And it was a really fun challenge to like break it down piece by piece that you could explain it to somebody who was a beginner that they could ride over this ledge safely mm-hmm. and have confidence, not crash. And that yeah. there was definitely an art to that. And we spent a lot of time perfecting that. And and I got to be good at like explaining 
how to do things. And I think that's why yeah. it, that, you know, that business works so well. It's an amazing bridge too, because I feel like a lot of times athletes who are at the top of their game are not good at instructing mm-hmm. others because it's like, oh, I, I just do it. I just, I just ride down. Like it's, it just happens. But having the ability to break it down step by step for someone who has never exposed themselves to that before, that is a true skill to hone. It is. And it, I was shocked at how many top riders had never had instruction. Mm. You know, I would ask, well, how do you, how would you do that? Like, can you explain to me how you do that? And it's the same thing. Well, I just do it. And I'd never had a skills clinic, like yeah. in all my years of racing, oh, wow. I'd had some instruction from, you know, a downhiller on our team, you know, did a pre-ride with me and she gave me some tips, but I had never had formal, like formal training. And it's really funny because like you think of skiing, somebody's a beginner, the first thing you do is you sign them up for a lesson. Like without fail, right? Yeah, yeah, no questions asked. But on the mountain bike side, I mean, it's changed now, but, you know, 15 years ago when I was starting these clinics, nobody thought of having a a lesson. Like, what? You know, you you just go ride. Yeah. But then you would have all these people come to these clinics of like, I'm terrified of my mountain bike. I've gotten hurt. I fall all the time. I don't want to ride trails anymore. My husband's super frustrated with me or my, you know, my boyfriend can't keep up with me. I, you know, he needs to get better, you know? So <laughs> yeah, these poor people, you know, and they're getting hurt and, and there's just things that they're doing and you watch them ride and you're just like, oh my God, that's terrifying. Right. Yeah. But they've never had any formal instruction. And so what's really cool about mountain biking now is that that has changed. The whole mentality of learning to ride a bike has changed and there are clinics everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and there's really good ones. Um, and so People are getting really good instruction from the beginning, which I think has def- definitely elevated the sport. It It is something that I definitely see because I came, <clears throat> I'm a little past, you know, I'm a little behind you chronologically in terms of getting into mountain biking and <laughs> I never won anything, but <laughs> it felt like it was years before I would come to grips with certain skills that I now see other people getting in a matter of months or weeks. Right. And yeah. I'm mad about it. I'm like, hey, dang it, that took me like five <laughs> years to get over that rock and you just did it. Right. But it's a great thing for the sport and a great thing for them as riders. Mm-hmm. Well, in the youth cycling leagues now too, the amount of instruction that kids are getting, it's it's unbelievable. These right. kids can ride things that I, I'm like, I just got that. I'm like, how right. did that? Uh. You know, here in the <laughs> Springs, we have kids on bikes and they have done a phenomenal job yes. with you know, showing our kids how to ride mountain bikes. And, you know, my 11-year-old, I mean, I can't keep up with him anymore. And I thought I had maybe through high school, but <laughs> he's 11 and he drops me on downhills. Like, yeah. I, he disappears. He drops so, a lot of people. <laughs> I know. And so it's really, it's really neat to see, like he started Kids on Bikes when he was two years old mm-hmm. on a Strider. And he has worked his way through the whole program. And yeah. now he's actually coaching he volunteers as a coach for kids on bikes for the younger kids and you know it just melts my heart to see him like teaching these little kids you know how to oh. ride things and you know they call him coach emmett and i'm just you know i'm like <laughs> oh this is amazing um but it is really great to see you know how cycling has really become more mainstream you know whole families are doing it now um and the technology has made that possible you know, with the big suspension, the lighter bikes, better shifting, 
The drop receipt post has saved so many collarbones. I, <laughs> so I true. wish I had raced with the drop receipt post, but yep. Um, yeah, so there's there's been some really great changes in the sport. So we have a few questions that we generally like to ask before we end the interview, but before we get to them, I have one last one, and that is, what do you think? Sort of open ended. Just what are your thoughts on women's cycling now and in the future at all levels? Just everything from people heading out for a weekend ride to like when you look at what's happening in cyclocross or world like cross country world cup, like what is it? What are you thinking when you see that? Are you excited about the direction of the sport? I'm, I'm thrilled with how women's cycling has grown. Mm. Uh, you know, I watched the world cup cyclocross races and, you know, they will have 75 to a hundred women at the start line. And that's just phenomenal. Um, the mountain bike side in Europe is very, very strong. Um, and then road racing, I know, is doing well. But, you know, for women, there's always, we're always behind the men. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that'll ever change. There's not a lot of teams mm -hmm. for women to, you know, join to be full-time professional athletes on, in yeah. cycling. There's just mm -hmm. not that many out there right now. And, you know, with the, you know, the cliff bar pro team is folding after 20 years and yeah. you know we're losing such a huge part of the sport by losing that team mm -hmm. and there's not a lot out there right now for other women you know to get support like that team provided so you know that has changed and mm -hmm. i don't think that is better no. it was better you know a while ago and now it's not as good but everything ebbs and flows and it's all cyclical and I'm totally confident it's going to come back. Um, but, you know, it's just finances. And one of the big things with cycling um, was the, they call it the Lance Armstrong phenomenon. And when Lance came into the picture and started winning the Tour de France, all of the money from mountain biking disappeared and went over to Lance. And I remember I was talking to Giro and they were sponsoring the team that I was riding on the mountain bike side for. And they basically said, you know, we're pulling our sponsorship because we're putting everything into Lance's team. Mm. And so wow. that happened for a while. And then we all mm -hmm. know what happened yep. with Lance. And so then everything shifted back to the mountain bike side. Um, and it just, you know, it just takes a couple athletes to start winning. You know, we had Kate Courtney mm -hmm. and she won the world title. Now we have the Olympics coming up again. Well, they just happened, but now we have the Winter Olympics. So there's just, mm -hmm. you know, it just ebbs and flows and overall the sport of women's cycling is in a much better place i mean there's parity in a lot of the prize lists um at least top three or top five yeah um but the you know below that there's still differences and women's cycling still has a ways to go but it has come so far you know compared to you know when i was doing it i made really good money but I was one of maybe five women that were making money in the sport. You know, it's just not yeah. that many, but you know, it's, it's going to grow and I think it's only going to get better. Here's hoping. Yeah. Yes. Especially high hopes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Josh and I, uh, both work with, um, uh, front rangers and then Highlanders, Highlanders. Oh, yeah. here in town. And, uh, some of the girls that are on that team and other teams are absolutely frightening riders mm -hmm. for how fast and how ferocious they can be 
And it would be, it'd be fun to think that they had an equal opportunity as the guys on those teams mm-hmm. to continue in their sport if they so chose. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I, I would love to hear uh, if there is anything that really sticks out to you from your time competing, uh, that was just a, a life lesson. Like that was something that mm. was profound to me and I want to carry through for the rest of my life. Yeah. Probably. Uh, so then in 95, I had a really bad head injury and it, I crashed on the road bike in a road race. And, um, that whole experience of coming back from that injury has really stayed with me because it was, uh, you know, it was in April when I crashed and then I couldn't race my bike again until they, the doctor said, you have to have seven days in a row of no headaches, no pain before I'll let you go back to your bike. And I didn't have that until September. Whoa. You know, granted everyone recovers differently, but it took me the entire summer to come back from that. And so I spent the entire summer riding my bike and training and, you know, not really knowing is, am I going to be able to race my bike again? You know, Mm. because I was having memory problems. I was having, uh, you know, severe headaches every day and, you know, I'd get out of bed and my head would be throbbing and, you know, much less ride my bike. And, um, that was 95 and that's the pre-Olympic year. Mm-hmm. So that's a big yeah. deal. <laughs> like <An> important year. <laughs> disappear mm-hmm. from the scene. Right. But I was so determined to come back and to show everybody that, no, I'm still one of the best road riders and I deserve to be on that team. And so coming back, and then making that team in 96 was just like, you know, it was kind of like, it worked. Like, all of that yeah. hard work, all of that suffering, you know, it just, if you put that, if you put the time in and you stayed focused and you want something that badly, you can, you can achieve it. And that, that, you know, has stayed with me for forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. wow. Brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> no, that's. So yeah, it's very, it's a very powerful experience. Yeah. Evidently so. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an amazing story that you, you've shared. And so, so powerful to see how, you know, the, the work and determination that you've, you've given in over the years has really paid off and you've gotten to share a lot of that experience with a lot of people around you. Yeah, it's been, I've been, you know, it's been a lot of luck, but I think it's just been so much hard work. And, you know, I like to tell Emmett that, you know, I'm like, I was not this really amazing writer in the beginning. I, I got my ass kicked a lot, mm-hmm. but I worked so hard and that's why I became the best in the world, you know, cause he'll, he'll do something and he'll crash and he'll just be like, ah, I'm, just, I'm terrible. I'm stupid. I'm a terrible writer. And, uh. you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, take a deep breath. You're only 11 and you've been <laughs> like, you've been writing for eight years now. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, but it's fun because, you know, I was not this prodigy athlete and I didn't just like explode onto the scene. You know, I, I got to where I, I got to where I made it to from just incredible hard work and just never, never giving up. And it sounds so cliche, but it really, I mean, that's really what my career was about. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes those stories that we hear often, which 
lead us to call them cliche. We hear them because they work. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out sticking with something and not giving up, it that tends to work. <laughs> and that definitely sounds like that's part of the story. Yeah, or most and, you know, of the I story for a you. Lot of, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of kids out there that grow up with without grit, without that mm-hmm. determination, because things are handed to them so easily mm-hmm. now. And, you know, we have social media and we have, I mean, just the technology and the equipment. And there's just so many things now that are so easy about a lot of, th- about a lot of things that, you know, I think a lot of kids get handed incredible bikes and great clothing and they get success very early on that they don't realize how much hard work is actually involved in, you know, getting to the point where you're going to be the best at whatever it is, you know, maybe the best in school or maybe the best at cycling or, you know, the best jump roper in the block or, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. It seems very clear that, you know, you, you haven't just won a lot of external titles on the podium. A lot of this hard work like has developed you into who you are internally as well and probably the way that you see everything in life and that those those kind of lessons are invaluable you cannot cannot put a price on any of that yeah no i'm i and i've been that way since i was very very young and you know my parents were never you know super little league parents where they were you know pushing me to be the you know the best at whatever they just supported what I did and mm-hmm. I got a lot of you know love and I, I had a very strong family background and you know did that make me be this kind of driven self-determined person I don't know I don't know where it came from honestly but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's done well yes yes it has <laughs> Well, we definitely want to respect your time. There are always a million more questions. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, Allison, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. I yeah. loved it. Yes, thank you. And uh, yeah, we may have to, as we talked about this in the pre-roll, but we may have to have you back and uh, bring Emmett next time. Oh, yes, he would love that. <laughs> Get a little perspective on uh-huh. the next generation of cycling. <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much. Thank you. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.